Welcome to OKHR Leads, hosted by Tara Crowley and Rob Trotter. I'm Tara Crowley, and my current role is OKHR Certification Chair, and Rob Trotter is Senior HR's President and is also on OKHR's board. We are connecting with HR leaders in our community and hearing their story and what makes them tick. Hey, Rob, what's happening? Tara, not a whole lot is, is happening. You know, I was um, looking over our stats on our podcast, and uh, we've gone global. I don't know if you realize that, oh. that but uh, we have a, a global worldwide audience. Like, uh, no for example, I was noticing that, that somebody from Germany has listened to us. Somebody cool. from Mexico has, and it may or may not have been me when I was visiting there, but I will count that right. as I get to share this with the bartender. International. I was ordering, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, from it. Uh, and we got somebody from Sweden, and that one is intriguing to me. I would really like to speak to that person from Sweden. So if you're out there, I want you to email us at okhrleads at okhr and, and, and let, let us know. Check the link in the in the thing for the email so that uh, we, we can talk to you because we may want to, may or may not want to interview you about your HR practices there in Sweden. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? That's crazy town. Well, do you know who our guest is today? I have, I'm very excited about this. I've been organizing my records and I want to ask him about how I should rank my Olivia, Olivia Newton-John as compared to ABBA, see which one he would uh, kind of give the bigger flavor over of those. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, go ahead and do the introduction yeah. so we get the audience all excited about yeah. this because this is going to be a good one. We're going to roll. <laughs> We're rolling. This right. is awesome. We are talking to David McLaughlin. And so David was kind enough to send me his bio and he, I mean, he has all of this great stuff. He has a master's in education. He has his SHRM SDP. He is the assistant vice president of corporate training for American Fidelity. Um, he has over 20 years experience coaching. Um, and also he has, I said, his master's in adult education. He has a BS in accounting. So, you know, some of this kind of mixes together, but it's still very strange. But I also just learned that he is trying or working on getting his his doctorate in adult learning from Kansas State. So I hope that we get into that. Um, he is the vice president of programs for Oklahoma City SHRM Society, so OCSHR. Um, and then he's also been the past president of Central Oklahoma's chapter for the Association of Talent Development. I don't know how to say all of this. And he also is the founder of Pendulum Coaching. So this is a whole big part to hear, but he has a huge love of music. And so I hope that we delve into that too. But I'm going to have to say, first of all, that I, my son's name is Davis. And so I know that I'm going to have a slip and say Davis instead of David. So David, welcome to OKHR Leads. Welcome, David. Yay! I'm excited to be here. I, I looked up how to say hello in Swedish just now, and I can't pronounce it. <laughs> I see, I see. Were you going to say you're the one who was there? You, yeah. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, I was vacationing. Oh, oh, right. No, I was oh. I was looking at this and it's got H E J. So if I try and say that, I'm positive I'll screw that up. So I won't do that. But hola and aloha and uh, all the other wonderful ways to say hello to everyone around the world listening today. Thank you for That's being right. Thank you all for having me. I'm so excited and I was honored 
that you would think of me to have me. I'm very excited. I know. So this is one of the best visuals that we have because David sits in his um, office. I'm guessing this is at home. I mean, maybe it's not, but he has okay. his background is all albums of just eclectic. So Jewel, uh, Tom Petty, uh, who else is up there? I've got Elvis. Prince, Prince, The Rolling Stones, Pearl Jam, Aerosmith, ACDC, The Beach Boys, Joan Jett, John Mellencamp, I won't say Van Halen. I've, I've just got a plethora. Where's, where's, uh, where's ABBA? Music. I don't see ABBA. I don't see Olivia Newton John, Captain Nintendo. Where are those guys? I'm, I'm sorry, but <laughs> ABBA's not up there. But I, I, I'll tell you. Uh, Take a Chance on Me is my favorite ABBA song. And if I was ranking ABBA and Olivia Newton-John, it would depend on what we're talking about. If it's music, I'm going with ABBA. If it's looks, I got to take Bad Sandy right. over ABBA. <laughs> right. Uh, Bad yeah. Sandy goes I, epic, right? I, right? I know that we can go down a rabbit hole here. Um, we could take two, three hours can, and just talk about yeah. music. We don't even need to talk about HR. Yeah. Well, I do want to talk about music, but let's hold that for for the end because okay. I want to ask you a question in the end. Uh, but while we get into this, tell us about your background and how that led to your career. Well, started in music actually. That's I uh, actually um, started as a professional musician and traveled around the country, not around the world, but I went to 46 states and uh, lived on a tour bus and had long hair and an earring and did all that. And then eventually, you know, I had to get a real job. And so I did that. And then uh, I actually went to college late and uh, I wasn't someone who went straight to college. I was doing the music thing and then went to college and I uh, majored in accounting. When you said I had a BS in accounting at first, I thought you were just saying I'm full of BS, which is a hundred true. <laughs> but, uh, I, I got the accounting degree and I started working in accounting and worked at a CPA firm. And then I got recruited to American Fidelity and I worked as a tax accountant at American Fidelity. And by the way, um, <laughs> I love the look on your face, <laughs> look of complete shock and awe that I was a tax accountant. I loved accounting. It was absolutely great. I loved accounting. But I do want to say, that I'm here not speaking on behalf of American Fidelity. I want to let them off the hook um, for anything I might say. I'm just speaking here as David McLaughlin, but um, American Fidelity has been great to me and they recruited me and I started uh, as uh, a tax accountant for American Fidelity, did that for several years. But my first week at American Fidelity, I uh, just observed their absolute world-class training and development and onboarding and all of that. And I was just blown away, but I didn't know what learning and development was. I had actually, as an accountant, taught seminars and things like that, but I didn't even know there was a learning and development field. And so I was mesmerized by this concept and immediately uh, started thinking about, hmm, I could move into this as a career and that's actually what I did three years later I, I had gotten to know more and more about the field and three years later uh, they had an opening and I moved into the learning and development field uh, into that department and ended up becoming the manager 
and um, over that department and have been for 14 years. And uh, the president, the lady who's now the president of American Fidelity was over our division at that time. And she just started throwing the craziest projects at me, very uh, OD projects, organizational development type projects, and things that really stretched me beyond just L&D. And things I'd never in a million years would have dreamed I was, uh, would have ever done. So that really stretched me. And then just being our, our uh, department was in HR and uh, just got more and more exposed to HR and ended up getting my SHRM SCP and then ended up teaching SHRM uh, or the whole HR certification classes for a few years uh, thanks to Ernie Gomez out at Moore Norman and, uh, and, and Kyle Killingsworth really helped me uh, in that as well. But so that all is how it happened. It was just a very circuitous, you know, trip that got me to here. And I love it. I love HR. I love the people of HR. I love the work of HR. And that's how I landed here via a tour bus. Well, Mr. Tour, tour Guide, tell us about when did you get your master's? Did, did becoming, obviously, in the training part, that prompted your interest in adult learning. So how did that kind of tie together? Yeah, once I started working in the training department, I knew I needed to learn more about this and go deeper into it. And I just love education. And so I was like, you mean I get to go to school? Woohoo! So I went, to, uh, uh, just jumped in uh, there at UCO. They have a fantastic uh, I assume they still do, but at the time they had a fantastic uh, adult education program there. And I went and got my master's of adult education at UCO, go Bronchos. And uh, that's that's why I did that. And then I knew, so the part I didn't tell you at the beginning of this story was not only did I jump on a tour bus back in high school, but I dropped out of high school to do that. So I'm actually a high school dropout. And so then I ended up, uh, you know, getting my GED. And then, you know, getting my BS in accounting and then my master's. But I fell in love with academia and all of that. And my personal goal was to die someday as Dr. David McLaughlin. I've always wanted to get my uh, doctorate. And I just love learning. Plus, I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college before. And so I just kind of, you know, since I fell in love with learning, I, I just kind of wanted to set the bar and show my kids what was possible. And so that's another reason I wanted my doctorate. And so that's why I started working on my doctorate. Um, I, one, I just love the work. And two, um, I just, my goal is to die Dr. David McLaughlin. So I started working on that a couple of years ago and uh, just working on it very slowly. I may literally die Dr. David McLaughlin. I mean, like the day I get PhD, but I'm, I'm working on it you know time passes you're going to be doing something I might as well be working on getting that so that I'm I'm very proud of you that's awesome and thank you for sharing that part about um being one of the first in your for your family to have gotten a college degree and did you I don't know if you listened to Barbara Abercrombie but she talked about that that she she has gotten her doctorate, but she since she started her schooling, her mother was also in school at the same oh, time. Awesome. So they were doing it at the same time. And so I, I think that ties together. And 
I just, and whenever you said you got your GED and then moved along to, I mean, I'm like, this is hope. This is the coolest thing. I'm so proud for you. Yay. This is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I think. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting because I read a book several years ago, a guy named Brandon Richard. A lot of people may know him. Right. He, uh, he's written several books and he said something that really resonated with me. He said, people, you know, you, you read my bio and it's like, oh, he's done this, he's done that, he's done that. And some of those things are impressive to some people. Some of it's not impressive at all. But um, whatever success I might have had in my career, if you're just reading my bio, people think, oh, he's bragging or he's whatever. And I'm like, no, I'm not bragging. I'm saying I barely escaped with my life in whatever success I've had has just been through sheer will and determination and hard work. And if I did it, you mm -hmm. can, that's, that's everything I have to say. And I've had some people say, David, you shouldn't uh, talk about the fact that you dropped out and you shouldn't, because it makes you seem less than, I think less of you because of that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But for me, it's like, I know there are people listening to this podcast in Mexico or Oklahoma or Kentucky or Sweden or wherever, and maybe they were raised like I was and they just had no hope. They had no uh, belief in themselves or whatever. And maybe right now they're thinking, wow, if that guy did it, yeah, drop out, maybe I can do it. And that's the yeah. whole reason I ever tell you because listen people who are like you know born on third base and believe that they hit a triple they're always going to believe in themselves and do well right so for mm -hmm. me like if you were born in the dugout and you're just lucky you ever got up to bat that's who I'm speaking to take a swing right you never know what's going to happen so yeah yeah, you're telling all of those things that I think are so important. Of you have to have your internal, your internal compass to say I can. And there are so many things that you can do if you choose to keep pushing. Yeah, it's going to be an uphill battle no matter what. So, yeah, high it's, five. It's going to be a lot of hard work. Don't think it's not, but you can do it. Yeah, you talked about um, your your boss giving you stretch assignments. What were some of those things that you did that, because you, you glossed over, you said you stretched me. So tell us what that looked like for you. Well, I've had lots of bosses give me lots of stretch assignments. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the thing that jumps out in my mind as the biggest was uh, we moved our headquarters uh, down the road. We bought the old Pubco building and, mm -hmm. um, we had to move, you know, a thousand people to this new building. And she asked me if I would help lead that up, me and another guy. Uh, we had two different roles. They were complementary roles in getting uh, everybody moved. And she asked me if I would head that up. And I said, sure. Um, who's going to do my job while I'm doing that? And I'll never forget. She said, oh, I don't think it'll be that big deal. Um, I think you can do both. And yeah, that was wrong. <laughs> but I did. Project both. planning. 
Yeah, I did both for three years and it was literally two full-time jobs. I did both. And it was, I mean, I've done no design work. I've done nothing about remodeling a 12-story building. I I have absolutely no experience in that. I, I have no work in that. But the facilitation aspect of it the people part, the change management part, that was the part mm-hmm. that was leaning on me to get done. And uh, it was an uphill climb, but we got it done. And it was the massive, massive stretch for me. Um, but I learned yeah. things in that project that absolutely, you know, learn things about myself, learn things about dealing with people, learn things about uh, building consensus. Um, it, it was just astronomical. So, David, give us some examples of, of what you learned. Maybe, maybe uh, give us in a way, you know, you do presentations. So if you were to present your experience on this, what would that look like? And what are some of those key points? Oh, yeah. You know, uh, change management is a big part of that. I learned a lot of things about change management and You know, one of the big things is people, when they're experiencing change, we, it's understanding where you are in the process and understanding where everybody is in the process. And, you know, at the leadership level, you know, at the executive level, they're, they're making the decision. And then the news comes down to the next level of leadership and they learn about it. And then it moves down to the next level of leadership and they learn about it. And then the people that change is happening to <laughs> at last. And then by the time they learn about it, all those other levels of leadership have had time to learn, process, and deal with it, right? Well, then we finally deliver the news to the people who really have to live with the change. And then they're kind of freaking out about it. And then all of us in leadership are saying, well, I don't really know what the big deal is. Well, sure, you've had six months to a year to process this. They've had six minutes to process it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to recognize, to you know, let people have a moment to freak out, right? You know, let them have their moment to process this. And so I think that's really important. Um, that, that's a big part of it. Also, you know, when it comes to change, people aren't resistant to change. They're, they're really not resistant to change. They just need to understand the benefits. They, they need to understand and believe in those benefits. And there usually are a lot of great benefits to them. Many times when people seem resistant to change, it's because we haven't done a good job of communicating the benefits, or maybe we're overhyping the benefits. Maybe the benefits aren't that great. Maybe the benefits are more to the leadership side and less to the employee side, and we're just trying to sell it. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're trying to just... Uh, manufacture this great benefit to the employee and we just need to admit that the benefit is more leadership side or management side than employee side or maybe we just haven't done a good job articulating what those benefits are so when we see a lot of resistance to change that's a real sign that we need to go back and either recalculate or recommunicate what the true advantages are 
Agreed. Agreed, agreed. I, um, it seems like there is, well, I'm going to ask this differently than how I've originally thought about it. Last year with the transition of so much, um, how did your job change? Because I think about corporate training kind of squashes whenever we're saying, oh, we need to save some dollars. How, your, your group seems like they are so committed on, on training and, and, and things. How did your job, and I feel like this is a job interview. It's not a job interview, but it's, I, we're talking about corporate training and what, what are themes that happen with that and how, how have you put, it, put things forward to say this piece is important. Maybe we're not going to do this, you know, training, but how, how, how did it look? Well, at our company, one of our core values is always flexible. We have five alwayses, and <laughs> one of those is always flexible. And, one, you know, fortunately for us, one of the things we had done several years prior, we'd done a couple things several years prior. One is we'd really moved and uh, promoted remote work. We we'd really promoted remote work. Uh, there are a lot of business advantages to that. And so we were very flexible um, everybody in our company has a laptop and have had laptops for, I don't know, probably 10 years. And our mm -hmm. phones are in our laptops. Nobody has a phone on their desk. Every, everything's mobile at, at our company. And so we were already a very mobile workforce. And so that made it very easy one day when we said, hey, everybody needs to go home. Well, everybody just closed their laptops and went home and worked from there. It, our infrastructure was already in place. So that was very simple. The other thing we did from a training standpoint was several years ago, from a business needs standpoint, we had made our training a lot shorter. You know, when I first came in, we had a lot of trainings. Three days long, you know, two days long, one day long. And that was just really hard on people from a business standpoint. Every, everybody that uh, is listening who does a lot of training knows what I'm talking about. It's hard to get people out of production for that long. So we had already been looking at ways to be creative on how do we get deliver the training without taking people out of production for a long time. So we had already moved to shorter trainings. We'd looked at different like two hour modules, one hour modules. And then what, what are the things we can take even in like 30 minute pieces? And then what can we do in webinars versus, you know, classes? So we had already done a lot of this. So then when we said, okay, shut it down, everybody's going home. Okay, well, we just, whatever was left in instructor led, we just shifted that over to uh, webinars. But then the thing you have to do is everything doesn't translate perfectly to a webinar. Mm -hmm. You have to change your approach a little and so, or a lot in some cases. So, you know, there was some transition there, but we, we had already done a lot of things differently even prior to the pandemic. And that just put us in a good position for making that shift. You were ahead of the game. That sounds amazing. We, we try to be, we, we, Everybody in our company, in whatever area you're working in, they're a very future-oriented group. That's another one of our core values is always mm -hmm. oriented. And so we're always trying to look down the road. Yeah. So 
in terms of looking down the road currently where we're at, what are some of the things that uh, you might be getting ready for, preparing for in the future now? Well, I'd say it's more challenging now to do that for two reasons. Like everybody knows, uh, change happens faster and faster and faster. Um, there was a, a Harvard Business Review article, I guess, two Decembers ago. And the article was talking about change and how fast change happens. And there was a sentence in that article that I can't get out of my head. And it said, <clears throat> the uh, pace of change is the slowest it's ever going to be. And the point of the article was how fast change is happening. And the author of that article said, however fast it's happening right now, that's the, this is the slowest it's ever going to be. In other words, we all keep thinking, well, at some point it's going to slow down. He was like, no, it's not slowing down. This is the slowest it's ever going to be because it's just going to continue getting faster and faster and faster. You know, we used to do, you know, 10-year strategic planning. You know, then they kind of started doing seven-year strategic yeah. planning, then five-year strategic planning. Heck, people are doing two-year and one-year strategic plannings. That's about all you can model for anymore. You can do a three-year strategic plan, but everybody knows it's pointless. So, I mean, you do it as an exercise and you do it as, you know, visioning and kind of trying to see down the road. But everybody knows it's just sticking your thumb in the air and kind of feeling where the wind's going. But it's, it's tough just being, you know, boldly honest, it's, it's really hard. You, you, you can, I, I want a job, you know, we have all these futurists. I want that job because you right. literally get paid to prognosticate on what's going to happen five years from now, but whoever comes back to the futurist and says, we want a refund because you were wrong. Nobody. <laughs> but, so that's the job I want because, you know, how do you look ahead? Well, you do what everybody else does. You read what's going on. You, you set for trends. You try and figure it out. But good luck on getting a refund if you're wrong. Right. Yeah. So you, you know, I mean, obviously, in order to change, people have to be open in order to to make that pivot, whatever the you know word is of the day. What do you do? when there are persons who get stuck, because that's what happens. I mean, you look at somebody who's stuck in a, you know, maybe a clothing trend from 1970 and it's now 2021. You know, I mean, so people get stuck. It's like, there's something that happens and it's like, I can't do it anymore and, I, and here I am, I'm done. So what do you guys do to overcome that? We've never encountered that. Every, everybody we've always encountered is just perfectly open to change and <laughs> Just move on. And move on. <laughs> so I don't know. It's a weird okay. question. I, I've never. No, it happens all the time. <laughs> so you, you know, we're, we're doing some training with some people right now based on the book Radical Candor, which a lot of people, mm -hmm. have, if they're not familiar with it, I highly recommend that book by Kim Scott, Radical Candor. It's a great book. <clears throat> and so in that book, you know, it talks about your role as a leader is to, or is it just a 
friend and a colleague, your, your goal is, you know, what radical candor means is you are challenging people directly and you care about them personally. So the conversation, if, if I'm in that situation, I would use radical candor on someone and say, listen, I care about you personally. And you would need to demonstrate genuine care for people, right? But I care mm -hmm. about you personally, Tara. And I know that you want to succeed in your role. I know you want to uh, you know, do a good job in your role. I know you want to move up in the organization or you want this project to go well. You want to be successful, whatever success means to you. You want to be successful. So let me now challenge you directly. In order for you to be successful, to reach your goals, what success means to you, let me explain how to get there. Because what you're currently doing is not getting you to success. Mm -hmm. And so these are the things that it's going to take for you to get to success. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I care about you. Now, I could not share this with you and let you flounder and you would not be successful. But because I care about you, I'm going to tell you exactly what it takes to be successful. And here's what you need to do. Boom, 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 boom. Now, if you don't do these things, you're not going to be successful. In fact, you may not even be employed here in a year because a year from now, mm -hmm. your role has to have these skill sets. They have to know this new software program. They have to know this and that. And, you know, these are the things they're going to have to know. And if you don't know those things, you may not be here. Yeah. I'm telling you that because I care about you. Yeah. Well, I hope that that hits people because I think it would hit me. I mean, you know, so obviously I've, I've read Radical Candor and I do think that that's the hard part, I think, for people is to bring out that saying, if you don't do this, I mean, if you do this or don't do this, here are the repercussions. It's holding people, their feet to the fire to say, this is what we need from you. That's, you know, that's where people have the hardest tackling point. Well, and, and I think, you know, what happens when you leave out that challenge directly is we think we're being nice to people, right? We think, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to tell them the bad news, right? But as they talk about in the book, telling someone what they need to do is not mean, it's clear. It's being clear. And so I'm telling you the path to success, and then it's up to you to choose it. Right. Imagine if I had someone working in my company that said, oh, I, I only work on manual typewriters. That's how I do my work. I do my work on manual typewriters. I don't use those newfangled computers. <laughs> we would laugh them out of the room, right? But it's the same way with all new technologies, all new skills. We can't let people just not improve their skills in whatever that skill is. We all have to shift our skills. And we may not want to, but if I am going to keep working at my company, whatever company that is, whatever job I have, I can't as a plumber say, oh no, I only uh, plumb the way they did, you know, 
the Romans did back in the, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, ancient times, because that's that was really revolutionary technology back then in Rome. Well, so what? It's 2021. You know, we do plumbing the way we do now in 2021. Every uh, industry changes. And if you want to be successful in your industry, you have to change with it. And it's my job as the leader to help you see that. Mm -hmm. Let's go this way. And if I don't do that, then I don't care about you. Right, right. How do you think that your background um, touring around 46 states and playing music, 46. how do you think? 46. 46. 46, 4 and a 6. Right. 46 states. How do you think that that has helped you with what you do now? Well, the first thing it did is it taught me how to talk to anybody about anything. Because every single night I'm meeting new people with wildly different personalities and wildly different interests. So I learned as a skill at a very young age how to talk to anybody about anything at any given time, at any moment. I can talk to anyone anywhere about anything. So that's the first thing it did. The other thing it did is it taught me just how to roll with it. What mm -hmm. is happening? Roll with it. Because I, you have very little control. Like when you roll into a venue, we played 300 shows a year. So almost every night, you're in a different, wow. different state. And my joke is always, you're also in a different place. But so you're in a different state, you're in a different place. You know, you wake up somewhere on a different day and you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. You don't know what the is like. You don't know what the promoter's like. You don't know what the, if it's going to be a fun crowd, a boring crowd, a big crowd, a little crowd. You don't know. You just show up and you do your thing. And you, and you play for 30 people the same way you play for 3,000 people. You just put it all out there. You, you do your best. And, and you may have a great environment you walk in. You may have a horrible environment when you walk in. But you just roll with it. You just, you just make the best out of whatever you have. And that's stuff that I learned from touring. <laughs> just get off the bus and make the best out of oh. it right there. Because it's not going to change. I can be mad about whatever's going on, but it makes no difference. You just... Get in there and rock and roll. Nice. Since we're uh, talking about your band, I want to learn more about that. Tell me about your band and uh, what what they were like and what kind of music and songs and stuff. Yeah, I've, I've played in a lot of different kinds of music. Done like pop rock stuff. I've done gospel stuff. I've played a little bit of country and just all kinds of stuff. But I've I've played it all. I've played all kinds of stuff. Are there, is there a... Are there any um, records out there, any music out there online that I can look up? David McLaughlin and uh, I hear his, hear his beats. There are, and I will not tell you at all how to find it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you're okay. leaving us hanging out here. Um, when looking you up, I did come across two of your disrupt HR presentations. Yes. And one of them, okay, well, I have a question of how you connected and, and 
decided you wanted to speak. But the second part is the the one presentation I watched was about adults on drugs. And you're 69% of adults are on drugs. Give us this information. Okay, so first of all, when you're gonna speak at a disrupt HR uh, event, I have a strong passion that you need to speak about something something disrupting, right? Don't I, I feel like that's the point of the disrupt conferences is that you speak on something that's not just, hey, this is how to fill out your W-4 and you know, stuff like mm-hmm. speak on something that's powerful and new and earth shattering. And maybe it's not new, at least that it's edgy, right? So uh, I've been asked to speak at Disrupt uh, a few times, and uh, sometimes I wasn't able to because of schedule or whatever, but whenever I'm asked to speak at Disrupt, I always sit and think, do I have something to say? Is there something interesting to say? So I usually sit and think about it. And with that one, there had been an experience with someone I knew that um, had been taking some, uh, oh, I can't even think of the word for it now, uh, psychotropic uh, drugs um, that are on the line of questionability of their legality. And so it's more like they're kind of legal if you have a prescription, but then how do you use them? And are you using them properly? That kind of thing. And so I thought, you know, this might be interesting. So I just started doing some research. And what I found is, you know, you take like ADHD uh, medicine, for example. Young people are using ADHD medicine in droves. And I'm not even going to argue whether they should be or shouldn't be or whether it's overdiagnosed or not overdiagnosed. I'm not even going to take that argument. The fact is they're using it, okay? Like in college. They're using it. And then you have people who aren't prescribed getting the medicine from the kids who are prescribed. And now it's heightening their academic performance. No question. That is not even in question. It's it's heightening their academic performance. So then I started researching this more. And there are other kinds of drugs that do the same type of thing. And some of these drugs are legal in other countries but they're not legal in the United States. Also, the United States military is testing these drugs or like pilots are using these things and stuff. So it's, it's like it's at least being tested for performance. So my question is, we were just talking about uh, like change management and stuff and how can we get you know employees to be better employees and all this kind of stuff. All the time companies are about, hey, let's automate, let's do all these things to, to make you know, uh, processes better and, and improve efficiency. If you have a way of making the person themselves more effective and efficient through medication, how long is it going to be until instead of HR saying, we're going to test you for drugs and make sure you're not on drugs, until 
Now, when you come in, there's someone from HR handing you a pill saying, I mean, what is coffee other than caffeine to improve, improve your performance, right? So someday, is it possible that HR will be handing everybody a pill when you walk in the door saying, here's your performance enhancer? Because we do this a lot for ourselves already. We are taking drugs by the tons in America to improve our performance in different ways. I just wonder how long it's going to be until HR is endorsing it rather than testing to make sure people aren't drugs. That was the basic premise of my talk. Huh. So, so uh, I need to start, we should start handing out CoQ10. So for brain, the, exactly. the mineral. <laughs> oh my gosh. You really, you, okay. I did not expect that your conversation was going to, to turn into that. My gosh, that's a scary thing to think about because it, yeah, you can see that. And the point of my talk is not necessarily to endorse it or to right. not endorse it. It's just to make us think about how think. we think. Right. So that, that talk was in, in 2016. What kind of conversations did that stoke? Have people come up to you and talk to you and, and uh, discuss every, every that? Once in a, every, every once in a while, I get somebody like Tara say, so what? what? <laughs> this is not like, it, hasn't, it hasn't started a revolution that I'm aware no. of. But yeah. Oh, gosh. We talked about deep stuff here. Um, That's what, what do I you want? I love that. Uh, well, good. Good. What trends are you seeing right now um, where people are having successes at your group or even people that you talk with in your consulting group? And um, what trend are you seeing and how people are having successes or what they're needing to do in order to tackle it? I tell you, most people I know right now uh, across the board in HR are just trying to hang on by the skin of their teeth. I mean, I, I can't think of hardly anybody that I've talked to that is not just at their wits end trying to figure this thing out. People are stressed out, burnt out, wrung out, turned out, <laughs> and everything else. I mean, yeah. And, and because of that, now I'm, I'm a personal promoter and proponent of mindfulness and meditation. And maybe it's just because that's a space that I spend a lot of time in, but I see a ton of people really turning to mindfulness and meditation and spirituality and those things. Just like, I need some peace in my life. Mm -hmm. And whatever they can do to get some peace in their life. I see people trying to figure that out and I'm all for it. I mean, I, I, I think people need to, I, I've been saying this a lot. It, it's, it's something that you, I think you don't hear a lot, but people need to brace yourself. Are you ready? You're not going to hear this every day. You need to put yourself first. You need to put yourself first. You need to put yourself first before your significant other, before your kids, before your job, 
before everything else, you need to put yourself first. Now, if your kid's running out in the street about to get run over by a car, <laughs> go get your kid. That, that's, that's important. But what happens is that's a crisis, right? So that's an actual legitimate crisis where you have to go grab your kid to keep them from getting run over by a car. But we act like everything is a crisis and it's not. We pretend everything is a crisis because one, the people around us act like everything is a crisis and they manipulate <laughs> us to their crisis. And the other thing is, I think it makes us feel good and important if the things in our life is a crisis and we are the only ones that can solve that crisis. It gives us significance. And so it makes us feel important if we have to deal with this crisis. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't go do that. I have to put out this fire. I have to put out this fire. I have to put out this fire. And I'm the only one with the fire hose. And it gives us significance. But we need to get real that we are creating imaginary crises a lot of times. And the reason we are burnt out is, one, the world is kind of on fire. But some of this we are doing to ourselves because we are giving other people power over our lives. And we have to step back, reprioritize, and put ourselves first. It's the age-old analogy when the cabin loses pressure in the plane, mm -hmm. oxygen yes. down, you have yes. to put the oxygen on yourself before you can put the oxygen on the kid. But right. If you don't, you're both going to pass out and you're of no use to the kid. So the reason you have to put yourself first is if you don't take, if you don't put yourself first, you're no use to your spouse, to your friends, to your children, to your job, to anybody else. So, you know, th that's what I see going on is just the world is on fire. People are stressed out and they have to invest in themselves so we can get this thing under control. I um, listened, well, well, first of all, I like the book called Present. It's named Presence and it is by Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. Yeah. She had written an article in the Washington Post, I believe, and she was interviewed, I think it was last week, by Brene Brown on her um, Dare to Leave podcast. She had written the article about people, and she was saying it, in this flux, she said it in this flux of where people are so burnt out, and part of the reason is because, you know, yay, we were tackling this first project, and now because it came back, we don't know where to go. It's like all of this stuff is just so unknown. And we're just, we've been on high alert for so long, we can't do it. Right. Can't do well, it. And, and we're always looking for someone else to show us the way. We're looking mm. for a leader to take control. We're looking for, you know, someone in the government or whatever to fix mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Yeah. You take yeah. control of your own life. Now, unfortunately, I can't uh, create a pill that will fix COVID and all of that stuff. I can't do that. But I can take control of my life. And I can yep. take control of my own energy, my own space, 
I can take control of my schedule. I can do those things. And that's what I have to do. And I, I'm like everybody else. I have a certain amount of control over my schedule, right? But other, my boss, you know, and uh, they have a certain amount of control of my schedule as well. So then when I come home, I have to, you know, meditate, do the thing that uh, bring calmness. And even in my day, I have to take those micro breaks and, and do those things mentally that keep me right. in the zone. And right. no right. one can do that for me but me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you, um, you volunteer with Oklahoma City HR Society and your role is currently, hold on, back up, you're the Programming. Vice President of Programs. Yeah. So has this been um, fun for you to connect with people in, in and around the state to find somebody to come in and speak? I just thought that role was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. And I think one is because I do a lot of speaking I can't even mm -hmm. listen to anybody talk without analyzing them myself. And so I, I, I enjoy listening to people, to people, to people speak, but I also, I also, I'm always thinking, I'm always thinking about who would be a good speaker, not just at OCHRS, but at, you know, where I work at other things. I have a lot of things involved in, I'm always wondering, oh, this person could go here, this person could go there, and this would be good. I just love connecting people. I love connecting mm -hmm. ideas and like this would fit here and this would fit there. And sometimes, you know, it takes a while. I, I had someone, uh, Rena Cook is a great example of that. She's a great speaker. I heard her speak, you know, several years ago. And I've just been waiting for the right opportunity, the right, right time and place to use Rena. And so then we were able to fit her in uh, at OCHRS in a meeting. And so it's just... You know, you just have these things, and sometimes it takes a while to make it all work. But then, when you're able to put the person in the right spot, boom, it just feels great. That's awesome. Yeah. So, David, what are you trying to get good at? Life. <laughs> you can see his face, his eyeballs rolled up through the back of his head. <laughs> I'm just trying to get good at life. You know, here, let me tell you something. So the work I'm in, the space I do, when you're in like HR and learning and development, especially and the, the dangerous part about being in learning and development is you're always talking, you're always telling people, this is how you do this and this is how you do that. I heard someone talk about John Maxwell, it's probably about seven, eight years ago. And I said something about John Maxwell and they got so mad. And they said, that John, oh? well, <clears throat> I hate that guy. And I was like, why the John Maxwell, and they said, he's written at that time like 60 leadership books. If I was around him, he better not ever make a mistake around me. He thinks he knows everything. And see, that's the problem. <laughs> development, you know, self-development, leadership, all those things. When you stand up and talk to people about leadership and those kinds of things, you have a lot of people who are just waiting for you to speak. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of pressure on you as a leader. One, every leader has pressure not to screw up. But when you're talking about how to be a good leader, it's even more so. And so 
I'm always just trying to, I'm, I just want to be good. And I'm something, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I want to be good. And so even just in interactions with people, sometimes like, you know how you're around someone and they just blow up or they just go off on a rampage or whatever. Sometimes I just want to do that. Sometimes I just want to be bad. You know, sometimes I just want to be the jerk in the room. But I spend my life trying to tell people how to be better and how to be like a better communicator and be a good person. And I just talked about mindfulness and meditation. And so people have this false impression that I've got it all together and I so don't. And if you're walking around with me and you can hear the stuff going on in my brain, you'd think, oh, wow, that guy's really screwed up. And then on the outside, I usually, not all the time, but I usually suppress it and something good comes out. So I'm just trying to get good at life, Tara. I just want to be right. a good person. But th there's a big old silencer going on inside to stop all the stuff from coming out. Because I just, sometimes I just want to be bad. Nice. I think that's normal. And you are a real person. So that's all right. <laughs> We have already talked for almost an hour. So we, and I know that you have somewhere you need to go. And so I want to do our final end questions with you that are rapid fire. And are you ready to do that? Yeah. And don't forget okay. to talk about music. Don't forget to talk about music. I'm not going to forget to talk about music. Yeah. So hang on. Okay. In the past year, what has been a revelation to you about yourself? Well, <laughs> try not to be overly revealing. Um, I, which I have a, okay, well, so I have a tendency to reveal too much. I, I'm an open book. I really am. If, if somebody asks me a question, I'll tell you that answer and five more. I am just, I'm an open book. And sometimes that overwhelms people. Um, but I'm a connector and I just really don't care how much you know about me. It doesn't bother me, but it bothers other people sometimes. So I have to dial it back a little bit for your comfort, not mine. I, I'll tell you anything you want to know. Okay. I think that's, hey, self-awareness right there. Yeah. Um, what, what mantra do you use for yourself and that you like to share with others? So I listen to y'all's podcast. I really enjoy your podcast. I have a lot of friends who have been on the podcast. And every time you ask this question, I kind of stop it after what is your mantra? Because, because I do like to meditate and I have a mantra. You know, they, they give, uh, the Buddhists give meditation mantras to the people and they're, they're usually Sanskrit or something. And I have a personal mantra that I use uh, when I, there's different ways to meditate. When I meditate in this one certain way where I'm really trying to clear my brain, I use my own mantra and it's not Sanskrit. It's just, I made it up and it is music related and I'll share with you what my mantra is. It, are you ready for okay. that? Robert, yeah. My mantra is, what bubba what bamboo. What bubba what bamboo. What bubba what bamboo. <laughs> 
say that over and over and over. And for any youngsters listening, that's from the Little Richard song, Tutti Frutti. So I just say, <laughs> walk by Lubop and walk bamboo over and over and over and over. And it sounds kind of funny and you would giggle right now, but like mm -hmm. I've done it so much that it, it doesn't make me chuckle anymore. I just do walk So what does it do for you? It, I, you focus on saying those words and it just clears your mind of everything else. You oh. don't say anything else. You just say what bubble blah, blah, blah. Okay. But it, okay. to answer your actual question, I'm kind of known for saying I'm here to serve, like uh, not in a Chick-fil-A kind of way, I guess, but uh, I just like people usually laugh when I say it, like, and I don't mean it to be funny, but like- no. If someone asks me to do something and I'll do it and I finish and they say, oh, thank you. And I'd say, I'm here to serve because that's genuinely yeah. how I feel. Like, hey, I'm here to help you get whatever. Servant leadership. I'm, I'm here to serve. Yeah, I like that. So copying for Brene uh, Brown's podcast, what do most people get wrong about you? Um, I've heard a few of your other guests say this and the first time I heard this question is the first thing I thought before I even heard anyone else say this. I'm so, I'm very extroverted and I'm, you know, generally when people around me, I'm like fun and ha ha, blah, blah, and people don't realize how deep I can go. Like, mm -hmm. if we want to sit here and talk philosophy and um, all of that stuff, let's do it, man. Let's go. And I, oh man, I love that stuff. And so I, I, I love that stuff. I think people think of me more as just like a fun, goofy kind of weirdo, but let's go deep. Those are my favorite conversations are the deep ones. Yeah. Yeah. Connecting. I get, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And you're going to be a doctor. So there you go. Yeah. And the other thing is, I say the other thing people get wrong, like I just thought of this, is a lot of times when I'm asking people questions, like if we're on a project or something, I'll be asking people questions and think I'm disagreeing with them because of my question. Oh, right. But I'm not. I'm just digging for your thought process or something. So that, that's another thing. Uh, I get that. I get that very much. Because they, they think people, I, I, I've been in those situations. People think that you're yeah, questioning they, them and then they get offended and you're like, no, I'm just trying to understand the process. So, yeah, they think I'm yeah. challenging them, but I'm not. I'm just trying to understand. I just want understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so get you. Um, what recent TV show have you been obsessed with? Okay. Some of your guests are like, I don't watch TV. I'm so much better. <laughs> I'm too, I'm too good to watch TV. I'm, I sit around and I just read books. And all that. Well, I like to read and all that too, but I freaking love TV. I, I, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time to watch it, but when I do, I freaking love TV. And mm -hmm. Veep over and over and over. And I've not watched it. And I'm re-watching it for probably the third time now. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is freaking brilliant. And I, I, this is the third time through Veep. I love it. Mm. Um, okay. New, so Ted Lasso is like, season one was really good. I'm, I'm almost to the end of season two. And I think it's losing steam for me. I, 
I don't know. I'm getting bored on Ted Lasso. Um, but season one was amazing. But I'm I'm kind of burning out on Ted Lasso. Um, what else? I don't know. I go through different seasons and stuff. I'm like everybody else. I, I like binge watch stuff and then. I thought of, well, I think, I don't know. I think I thought of you whenever I watched, I started watching this show last night and it's on Amazon and it's a documentary and it's called Bikes of Wrath. And it is these guys from Australia who come to take the, to get from Oklahoma to Bakersfield and they ride bicycles and they're musicians and they play for money and they do all this stuff. Oh, I would have to watch that, yeah. Go watch it, it's on Amazon. I love documentaries. I watch like any rock and roll documentary. I'll watch all of those. I love uh, like, so here's one thing I've noticed about TV shows. There's a lot of shows that people will like watch but not tell anybody they watch because they're all ashamed. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden it kind of trickles out. Like <clears throat> several years ago, like somebody was, like uh, someone said something and I, I can't remember what it was. And I said, that's from Shameless. And they were like, oh, don't tell anybody I watch Shameless. <laughs> like, everybody in the room watched Shameless. It was like season six or something. No, like nobody had ever said a word about Shameless. And then all of a sudden, everybody finally confessed that they watched Shameless, which is one of the most well-written shows in the history of TV. I mean, it's graphic, but what an amazingly well-written show. And so I think there's a lot of shows out there like that. that yeah. People just don't want anyone to admit they watch, you know. I haven't watched that, so you guys will have to tell me about it. It's um, amazing. But brace yourself. Wait till the kids go to bed before you watch Shameless. <laughs> okay. All right. So writing that down. So what book or podcast has had a profound effect on you, and how did it change you? Okay, HR Leads is like probably the best podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, because you listened to it when it's, you were in Sweden. It's gone global. Fantastic, right? Uh, <laughs> my favorite podcast next to that one is, uh, I don't know the name of the actual podcast, but it's by Jack Cornfield. He is a Buddhist teacher, and he's just my favorite teacher. Mm -hmm. I love listening to that guy. I'm not Buddhist, but I'm like I'm this close. But he is amazing. He's just great teacher, very calming. I love his voice. But he's just brilliant, and I love it. I think it's called, like, Wisdom of the Heart or something like that. Don't quote me on that. But, Jack, if you search Jack Cornfield on the podcast things, you'll find him. He's brilliant. Okay. Favorite. We'll but, put that in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. He has, there's several that I listen to. And uh, Jillian Michaels, is that her name? Used to be on The Biggest Loser. Mm -hmm. I like hers just because I think she's funny and she always has something interesting to say. I listen to a lot of weird ones. Okay. And then books. Oh my goodness. I have so many books. The Wise Heart by Jack Cornfield is one of my all-time favorite books. Seven Habits by Stephen Covey, all-time favorite. And recently, oh gosh, the Leadership Lane by Bruce Waller. Uh -huh. There you go. About halfway through. That. Are you already through it? You are? About Good. halfway through, yeah. 
don't know. So many. I read so many books. Okay. Who's your favorite band? My favorite what? Band. Band of the Rolling Stones are number one. Prince is number two. The Beach Boys are number three. The Beach Boys were my number one for most of my life, but I did a reassessment a few years ago and Stones moved up to number one. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Here's my question. Do you do you, have you listened to the DGs, Foo Fighters of the? Oh, I have I'm aware of what they do. <laughs> I listened to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's pretty good. Well, their new album, uh, Foo Fighters' new album, is pretty funky. I mean, it's for a rock band. It's, it's a pretty funky record. But you take like Maroon Five, who's a great band, but they're a disco band. Listen to their music. It's disco. If people aren't paying attention and they don't realize it, they don't know they're listening to disco. Maroon 5 is a disco band. David, you described to me one time your love of going to concerts and what that experience is like for you. So yes. for our global audience here, kind of retell that story about what, what going to concerts are like for you. Well, I don't know what I said to you, but I can tell you, I've been to over 700 concerts. Oh, uh, my gosh. It, uh, it was a... Not last week, but the week before, I went to three in one week. Uh, I have one coming up this Wednesday. I'll drive to Lawrence, Kansas for a concert. And I'll just like go up there for four hours, do the concert, and I will turn around, drive back home, and I'll be at work at eight o'clock the next morning. Um, that, is, that is no problem for me. But going to the concert is like the most energizing, fun thing. Um, it's it's better than the psychotropic drugs. I mean, it is just so great. And it really, like, we were off of concerts for a year and a half because of COVID. That was a very difficult time for me. But I didn't realize how much I missed it until my first concert back was a month or two ago, uh, Cheap Trick. Um, down at the Riverwind outdoor concert. Uh, Greg Hawks and I went to see that. And man, I was like, rock and roll is bad. Thank you. And I, I don't care. I love like, you know, big giant arena shows. I'll, I'll see the Stones at uh, the Cotton Bowl here in November. I like those big shows. My favorite are like those little small dive bars. My number one favorite concert of all time was at a small dive bar in Dallas and I saw a band Plague Vendor. If anybody knows who Plague Vendor is, they're a nice hard rock band. Oh, that was the number one show of all time. This Wednesday, I'm going up to Kansas to see Group Love. It's a husband and wife group uh, mm -hmm. band. I love them. I mean, I see all kinds of music, but those small shows are the best. Uh, just the energy of the crowd. It's so much fun. It's just energy. I mean, it's just so much energy. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know you have somewhere to be, but how can people connect with you? LinkedIn's the best way. Just easiest place to find me. David McLaughlin on LinkedIn. I'm there. Okay. Okay. Well, this has been great. And so glad that you said we can, hello. We could do this two more hours. I love it. It's fun. I know. Yes. And yeah. I know that yeah. you have another appointment. So that's why, I mean, we we miss a ton of questions to ask you. So maybe we'll we'll do a review and, and get to those, we'll to do those again the next time. Yeah. We'll do part, part two. two. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So we'll do that whenever we get the Sweden guest on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, David McLaughlin. And until next time. Thank you both. Bye. Bye. I appreciate it. Thanks.